Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to What Women Must Know. Thank you for joining me again today. As you know, if you've been listening to my show, this is the show that gives you in-depth information. The conversations that we have on this program are really enlightening, and they are designed to empower you with truthful information so you can make truly informed decisions. And it's a pleasure that you are here with me again today. I always want to remind people, please go to my website, whatwomenmustknow.com, because I send out these radio shows if you happen to miss them. I send out articles. I keep you updated. And also my Facebook page, What Women Must Know, is a great place to keep learning. I post every day, and uh, there's lots of important information that I want to get out, so that's one way that I do that. So it's What Women Must Know. That's your one-stop shop. Uh, well, what are we going to discuss today? We're going to discuss a topic that is so profound that impacts every person's life, and I'm so glad you're here listening in because my guest today is Dr. Thomas Seyfried, and we're talking about the topic, is cancer a genetic disease or a metabolic disease? But we're really going to be exploring all types of neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, as well as cancer. This is a huge topic, and it's such an honor to have Dr. Seyfried with us. He was a guest on my show a couple of years before, and I was totally inspired, and I've been inspired to get him back because there's a lot of new information, new developments that directly impact the quality of your life and your ability to heal and um uh, uh, regenerate, rejuvenate yourself and your loved ones. So uh, without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Thomas Seyfried to the show. So hello, Dr. Seyfried. Oh, hello, Cheryl. It's uh, great to be here today. And it's great to have you. You know, before we jump in, I want everyone to know a little bit about you. So let me just do your, your bio here so people can appreciate how uh, special it is to have you on the show today. Uh, so Dr. Uh, Seyfried received his Ph.D. in genetics and biochemistry from the University of Illinois. He did his undergraduate work at the University of New England and also holds a master's degree in genetics from Illinois State University. He was a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Neurology at the Yale University School of Medicine and then served on the faculty as an assistant professor in neurology and prior to leaving full uh, prior to receiving full professorship Dr. Seyfried was an associate professor in the Department of Biology at Boston College and his research program focuses on gene environmental interactions related to complex diseases such as epilepsy autism brain cancer and neurodegenerative diseases Dr. Seyfried investigates many of these diseases from the perspective of genetics lipid lipidomics, I hope I said that right, and energy metabolism. He is the author of Cancer is a Metabolic Disease, quite quite an uh, important uh, book that has shaped the way um, the, the, the really the world is looking at cancer and uh, working at effective modalities. So, gosh, it's just such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for being with us today. You know, thanks. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, you are such a pioneer, and uh, you, you really have um, presented and obviously researched uh, and put together a model that is so profound in our understanding. And we'll start with this, you know, big problem called cancer. But you have a very um, unique perspective on what is driving cancer and, of course, then the 
the most effective strategies to help reverse this condition. So, um, you know, we might as well just jump right in and help people understand from the research you have done and, and how it's being applied now, as you were saying before we did the show, they, they are actually taking this protocol and getting fantastic results in different uh, settings around the world, such as Turkey. So let's talk about that, Dr. Seyfried. Yeah, well, um, you know, the cancer problem in this country is, is out of control, um, despite despite what you hear uh, on the radio or what you read in different uh, in, in, in different journals, um, we know the situation is out of control. The data from the American Cancer Society has, has indicated that over the last five years, the rate of, of, of people dying uh, from cancer, the rate of death is now increasing faster than the rate of new cases. So uh, in 2017, which is this year, they're, they're, they've projected that um, over 1,600 people in this country will be dying from cancer, all different forms of cancer. Um, you know, a this day. Is, is that a, a day? day? Yeah, a day. Yeah. It's uh, over 600,000 a year in this country. So, so, and, and, and it's happening all over the world. Um, it's happening in Europe and it's happening in China. The Chinese are decimated uh, uh, from, from cancer. So the question, the question is, you know, why, why are we not making the kinds of progress in managing this disease that you would have anticipated uh, based on the enormous amount of energy that's put into studying the disease and, you know, all these new drugs that you hear about on TV, you see them advertised, Opdivo, you're going to live, uh, opportunity to live longer. And the issue is how much longer? Is it is it you know three weeks? Is it three months? Or, or is it uh, three years? And most of the time, it's very a very short uh, increase for an, an enormous cost. Uh, some of these drugs are outrageous in their cost. Um, they, we can't sustain this. So the question is, why do we continue to believe that these drugs are going to provide us with some uh, management? Uh, you know, for the poor cancer patients. Um, they're subjected to, uh, um, you know, um, mutilation surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're subjected to toxic radiation and these horrific poisonous chemicals. And then these new immunotherapies have a, a, a very stiff price tag and, and significant adverse effects uh, from this. As a matter of fact, poor, most cancer patients uh, fear the therapy as much as they fear the disease. And um, this, this is the tragedy. Uh, we don't have to have this. Uh, we have shown, uh, based on the original findings of Otto Warburg, that cancer is a metabolic disease. It's not a genetic disease. And the reason we're not making any major progress in this disease is because, because the thrust of the field says this is a genetic disease. That, who are the field? The field of the top oncology departments in the world. All right, they're locked into this view that cancer is a genetic disease. They've become it's become a dogma, a belief system. Mm. It's in the textbooks. It's on television. It's it's advertised on television. For example, if you see Cancer Treatment Centers of America, they say we're going to use uh, targeted therapies and personalized medicine. Whenever you hear those terms, targeted therapies and personalized medicine, that's the that's the consequence of the view of cancer as a genetic disease, all right? So when you hear those buzzwords, personalized medicine and targeted therapy, which you'll hear on TV from cancer treatments, from Dana-Farber, from MD Anderson, from Sloan Kettering, from whatever major institution, cancer institution you're going to see, you're going to see these same buzzwords. 
um, this is a tragedy. This is not a med it's not a genetic disease, and that's the reason why the, the the death rates continue to increase. So we have shown that this is a mitochondrial metabolic disease. That, that all cancers are the same disease, and this is another misconception. You'll hear people say, "Oh, cancer is a hundred different diseases." It's not. It's a single disease of energy metabolism. And the tumor cells, regardless of what kind of cancer a person may have, whether it's a breast cancer, whether it's a colon cancer, whether it's a brain cancer, bladder cancer, lung cancer, it's all the same disease. These cells are fermenting. They're using a very primitive form of energy to stay alive and grow. The, the strategy then is to take away their fermentation, the fuels that they're fermenting on. And this is very simply done by using a, a program of diets and therapies that target and, and restrict the availability of these cells to get those fermentable fuels. And when you do that, you have these, the tumors resolve, the tumors shrink up, patients get healthy, and they don't have to suffer the, the horrific toxicity that the standards of care are, 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 are giving to these poor cancer patients today. If you see a cancer patient with a bald head, that patient was mistreated by someone who has, is clueless as to the biology of the disease. Mm -hmm. People should not have to lose their hair when they're being treated for cancer the effective way. So, so what, every, the whole world is upside down when it comes to cancer. So uh, we've published a number of papers clearly indicating that this is a, a metabolic disease where metabolic solutions are much more likely to be therapeutic. Now, as I mentioned to you, uh, in Turkey, yes, some of the oncology in Egypt, can, Egypt and Turkey are looking at our work and applying it to their patient populations, uh, oncology patients with remarkable success. Stage four triple negative breast cancer resolved without mastectomy. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, advanced lung cancer resolved. The, 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 the um, uh, extended longevity is 400% greater than the current standards of care for lung cancer. Uh, advanced stage 4 pancreatic cancer. The, the patients are doing remarkably well. These are not death sentences. So, and they're being treated by, by cocktails of drugs, procedures, and ketogenic diets that lower blood sugar. So we're using metabolic therapy together with hyperbaric oxygen, with certain drugs that work uh, synergistically together in a package. It's, it's called, it's a cocktail approach of metabolic therapies. And patients get healthy. When the patients finish the therapy, they're healthier than when they started the therapy. It's none of this horrific uh, uh, decimation of the body as we see in so many of these poor cancer patients. So, so this, whole, this whole thing has to be opened up and people have to know uh, that there are, there are approaches. And the approach is based on solid, hard science far more solid than, than, the, than the approaches based on the gene therapy, uh, the gene theory of cancer. So this is going to be, um, once people come to understand this, of course there's going to be tremendous resistance because the people at the top medical schools uh, have very little knowledge or understanding of this new therapy. So they're locked into the old gene theory, uh, which is continuing to, to be a failure, uh, when we can resolve this disease in, for the majority of patients or give them a high quality of life, um, not subject them to the toxicity, and uh, uh, this can be done for the majority of cancer patients today. Yeah, that's uh, very exciting. And also, you know, it's so disturbing to realize that people have uh, accepted paradigms and built uh, a facade about it, built, you know, universities, built corporations around a facade uh, of uh, an understanding that's Faults, like heading in the totally wrong direction, but we have such investment. So I have a couple questions. 
Let's go back to um, when you were giving the statistics about cancer. What, in your experience, do you believe is driving an epidemic of cancer in our society at this time in the history of humanity? Yeah, well, this this is uh, it's a very important question because it's not just in the United States. Uh, the epidemic is now worldwide. Uh, we see it in all the different countries. Uh, more and more people are getting cancer at, at younger and younger ages, which is really disturbing. Okay, can I just jump in with that? Yeah. Uh, because um, one of the statistics that I've come across recently is that there's been a 21% increase in pediatric brain cancers in the last decade. And brain cancers in children have now surpassed leukemia, which used to be the cancer that most children under the age of 20 were diagnosed with, and now it's brain tumors. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, one of the first uh, therapies that we uh, that were, was done with um, metabolic therapy using ketogenic diet was done in pedi two pediatric patients, and they both had remarkable uh, um, uh, therapeutic uh, success with that. And the tragedy is it's never been used again. Uh, only that one time in 1995 by um, Linda Nebling at the Case Western Reserve Medical School. Well, I, we, pediatric brain cancer can be managed easily with metabolic therapy. I don't know why we're treating these poor little kids with these toxic drugs and radiation. It's insane. You know, it, it's t it tells me that the field doesn't understand what the nature of the disease is. It's a tragedy. So um, I, I'm, uh, I've seen the results from pediatric. If, if, we, if we do metabolic therapy, these little kids don't have to suffer like this. And even if they do survive, they oftentimes have brain damage as the result of the treatments. Yes. So many of them have cognitive decline. Uh, they, they have all these problems. And then they put a tremendous risk uh, for, for future cancers and for future uh, um, uh, other metabolic maladies as the result of, this, uh, of being um, uh, brutalized by the system. And I know that I know the people in the PDA. I know they mean well. They're not there. They they think they're of the mindset that this is the best there is. Yes. And, and and unfortunately they 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 don't look outside their narrow window to say, hey, there are other things out there that could be much much more effective. So let's go back to the causes. I don't want to get a yes. Side let's go back to what well, the root causes are. Okay. Well, you know, this is the. Um, uh, it, it's it's the accumulation of of provocative toxic agents in the environment that is primarily responsible for the epidemic. So what are these toxins in the environment? Well, like they've always been, they call carcinogens, all right? So carcinogens are, uh, have always been with us. Uh, they're known to cause cancer. Carcinogen is a, is a compound or a chemical or something that's a carcinogen. <clears throat> so carcinogens are obviously increasing as the result of our technology. But also the food industry is, is participatory in this, in this. We have created foods that are very high in carbohydrates uh, that are very minimal in, in uh, nutritional benefit. And uh, sugar itself is not a carcinogen. But what sugar does, high carbohydrate, fructose, corn syrup, and all this kind of stuff, what it does is create systemic inflammation in the body. And inflammation is a cause of cancer. If you, if you call, have a flamed microenvironment in some organ of your body, that inflammation can lead to the damage of the respiration in those cells, which will then put, uh, uh, increase the risk of putting those cells on the path to become a tumor or, or a cancer. So, so the foods that we're eating, the chemicals in the environment, uh, are in fact uh, contributory towards this uh, epidemic. 
Also, uh, much less activity, physical activity is becoming much less. So you, you combine lower physical activity, more stress from, from uh, the kinds of occupations that we're working on, chemical carcinogens, and, and foods that are high and rich in carbohydrates and, and nutritionally um, uh, deficient. You put all that together, and you get an increase in cancer. It's like a perfect storm of what we've created in our, as we've exported the American diet, which is the high in sugar and the refined foods, and as that become the gold standard around the world and everyone is uh, desiring to have, plus the amount of pollution that is going on. As you said, China is being devastated by cancer. Look at the pollution that's going on in China, how those poor people yeah. breathe is yeah. a miracle. Um, but, you know, we've We've created this. This is the result. Well, of yeah, I mean, but, you know, we can't stop technology. We can't, we, I mean, we're a species that, that evolves from our technology. Uh, but the problem is that technology has been increasing so much faster than our bodies can evolve to, accept, to adapt to this. Because don't forget, you know, um, we were primarily uncivilized 10,000 years ago. We, we were pretty much locked into the way all organisms evolved on the planet. Yet, our, yet within the last several thousand years, we're, we've developed all of these technologies which make our lives much easier. Let's be honest. You know, uh, our lives are far more easy today with the technologies that we have. But there's a price to pay. And one of those prices to pay is this epidemic of cancer. Now, I, I still think we, we don't we, – we, we, people understand what produces cancer. They're going to try to reduce the risk of engaging in those activities. Um, uh, or I I exposing themselves to those provocative, provocative agents. So there's two issues here with the cancer, the cancer situation. Number one is, you know, what's causing the cancer and how can I avoid those provocative agents? And, and most people roll the dice and say, well, I'm going to take the, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to roll the dice and maybe I won't get cancer. But then the issue comes is that, well, if there's 1,600 people a day dying from cancer and, and, uh, 1,700 new cases a, a year, um, coming of cancer. What are you going to do for me after I get the disease? Okay, so that's the other population, the population who says, oh, I have cancer, what are you going to do for me? Well, uh, I think on the horizon of management, there, 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 we're, we can make enormous, uh, enormous gains there, as well as understanding the provocative agents to reduce our risk. So, um, so, so, okay, so what can we just go back a minute? And you mentioned Otto Warburg because he's such an influential. Uh, didn't he win a Nobel Prize, by the way, Dr. Otto Warburg? Yes. He, he, yes he won it for, yeah, he won it for um, his understanding of uh, uh, respiration, uh, the mechanism of, of cytochrome C. It's a very important protein that plays an important role in our ability to uh, respire or, or the ability of, of our cells to gain energy from um, from oxygen. So uh, that's uh, the way we all energy. We we breathe in air, and we exhale CO2, and the CO2 comes from the foods that we basically ate, and they're waste products. So the waste product of respiration is basically water and CO2, um, very little other materials. So uh, Otto Warburg was uh, instrumental in understanding the mechanisms of respiration, but he also was driven by his uh, understanding of cancer, and he defined the, uh, the, 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 the metabolic uh, problem that underlies all cancers. They essentially use energy from a very primitive form of energy called fermentation, uh, which was the major for source of energy on, for all organisms on the planet before oxygen came into the environment. 
So there was a, a long period of our Earth's history when there was no oxygen in the atmosphere. And, and as a result, whatever was living, those small organisms that lived at that time, mostly single cell, a few cell organisms, they, they were all fermenters. They, they used um, energy, they made energy in the absence of oxygen. Well, these tumor cells simply are reverting back to those primitive forms of energy. And then you say, well, what, are, what was the fuel for a fermenting organism? And basically, it was carbohydrates and amino acid. And uh, the tumor cells are using carbohydrate and glutamine, an amino acid, to, dry, to maintain, to, to grow. And very few of the therapies that we use today to manage cancer are targeting glucose and glutamine. If you target glucose and glutamine, the tumor cells can't survive. And this radiation and chemo and immunotherapies, they're not targeting glucose and glutamine. Yeah. So this, this explains why we have this problem. So his work was so um, profound, and, and I, you know, years ago came across him when I was really interested in oxygen therapies, because didn't he help to initiate the, um, the use of a variety of oxygen therapies and ozone therapies and helping to oxygenate on a cellular level, which is what you're saying. When we lack oxygen on a cellular level, we revert to this more primitive form of generating energy, fermentation, which causes and feeds the cancer yeah, cells. I mean, uh, he, he had been, you know, with the, 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 the issue with Warburg having, having defined the molecular basis of cancer, he, he was more trying to do, yeah, oxygen and, and, and certain vitamins and uh, 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 enzymes to try to uh, enhance uh, respiratory energy in the cells. Um, the other thing that Warburg did not, did not describe at that time, he felt it was all a glucose metabolism um, kind of a fermentation that was being uh, a glucose-driven fermentation in these cancer cells. Um, it's been now, uh, we and many others have, have now defined glutamine. Uh, what's new is that the glutamine can also be fermented. It also can generate energy in the absence of oxygen. So it still relates to Warburg's central theory. It's just that it's a, it's a, it's a new add-on to that. Um, to that Warburg central theory. And, and now we have a better understanding of, of these two fuels and how we can uh, manage this. And don't forget, hyperbaric oxygen um, is, is a key part of managing cancer. Um, and it's a very interesting way to do this because um, most cancer cells, they say, well, they're drug resistant, they're resistant to this and they're resistant to that. That's because they're fermenting so hard. When, you're, when cells ferment, they become very resistant to um, radiation and certain drugs. So what we do is if we take away the fuels for um, uh, their fermentation, they now become vulnerable to reactive oxygen species. And, uh, and if we put people in hyperbaric oxygen, uh, chamber when when they uh, when we target glucose and glutamine these tumor cells become extremely vulnerable to oxidative stress and they die while the normal cells burn ketones and protect themselves from the oxidative stress so it's a, an elegant beautiful way to specifically target yeah. and kill the tumor cells without harming the rest of the body because hyperbaric oxygen is a tank is when you go into a chamber it the pressure pushes the oxygen into the cells, right? Well, it say? actually it actually uh, dissolves oxygen in in the in the bloodstream. So you actually okay. get dissolved oxygen. Not only is the are your blood cells saturated with oxygen, but now you also have dissolved oxygen in the blood. So this then for a cell that would have uh, be uh, susceptible to reactive oxygen species like a cancer cell, 
this is this is death to the cancer cell. They 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 just explode when when you when you hit them in this condition. As long as long as they as long as you deprive them of their fermentable fuels, because the fermentable fuels are like a shield, you know, it's like a protective shield against reactive oxygen species. So one, and the and the fuels, the glutathione and catalase and all these different enzymes that protect them against ROS are driven by the fermentable fuels, glucose and glutamine. So when you pull glucose and glutamine away, the shield is off, and now you have dissolved oxygen in the blood, and these tumor cells just get hammered. They they don't survive, and the normal cells are burning ketones from the ketogenic diet, which prevents them from being harmed by the ox reactive. They don't develop any reactive oxygen species. So it's just a beautiful way to kill tumor cells without harming the body. So one question, does ozone therapy fit into that model as well? Um, I haven't tried it. Uh, Because I have a a medical ozone generator that's used for all sorts of things, including cancers, I think, in Europe. And I'm just wondering if that also is a relevant modality. I I, I can't speak to that um, because I only speak to things that I have actually tested preclinically before we even uh, use it on any patients. These are not, you know, speculations that I'm speaking about. This is, we've already tested. So what I speak about are things that I have actually tested in the lab on, pre, on preclinical models that we've developed here at Boston College that replicate exactly the kinds of cancers that you see in people. So when I know that I can take a systemic metastatic disease and, and show that we have major therapeutic benefit through a, through a combination of therapies, and then say, I think we can do this in humans, and then certain clinical groups do that and prove our point. Yes, as I told you, it actually works better in, in the humans than in the mice. People always say you cure the mice. You don't cure mice of real <laughs> systemic metastatic cancer, believe me. So uh, can, can you give us some guidelines? Number one, based on the research that you've done, uh, how we should be choosing our diets, what, what is really critical. Obviously, as you were saying, that you know, it's pretty blinding flash of the obvious that we live in a toxic world and we have to do our best to eat organic, remove you know, toxins from our environment, purify our air, purify our water as much as possible. But you know, on, a, um, on a dietary basis, what, what do you believe is fundamental to supporting us in staying healthy? And then I'd like us to go into and uh, talk about on a therapeutic level, what is it that you recommend to people who are dealing with cancer? Or, and we're going to get into other conditions as well that are impacted in a similar way. Yeah, well, um, as I wrote in my book, if cancer is a mitochondrial metabolic disease, then the origin of the disease, as Warburg said and others, comes from damage to the respiration of the cell, so of a population of cells. So protecting our mitochondria from damage is the surest way to prevent cancer. Now, you can do that with many different kinds of foods, foods that are rich in nutrients and antioxidants. If you don't have cancer, these kinds of of uh, sprouts and fresh vegetables, you know, organic meats, um, any of these kinds of things will will keep us will keep us healthy. Also, therapeutic fasting, you know, just don't eat anything, uh, just drink water um, for a day or two. I know it's not easy; it sounds crazy, but uh, what it does is it allows our bodies to uh, rest a little bit, um, uh, enhance the therapeutic because because ketone bodies, if you stop eating. Blood sugar goes down, insulin goes down uh, because you're not eating, and then we start burning the fats in our bodies, which are converted to ketones. Uh, these are, are, are water-soluble breakdown products of fat, and the mitochondria burn these ketones 
in our cells, and they get very healthy. It's a very clean fuel that doesn't create any reactive oxygen species. So it's a beautiful way to um, uh, bring our bodies back to a, a natural state again. Now, of course, it's very hard to stay in these kinds of conditions. Uh, we published uh, a paper uh, describing the so-called glucose ketone index. And what it is is the ratio of blood glucose to blood ketone bodies, uh, that ratio in millimolar, and there's a little meter you can buy from Amazon. It's a glucose ketone meter. And people people actually take a drop of their blood, just like someone who, who would have diabetes, monitoring their blood sugar periodically during the course of a day. And they see what their ratio of glucose to ketone is. And we said, we published a paper showing, if you can get the ratio to be about 1.0 or below, that was mean the means where the ketones are actually a little bit higher in your bloodstream than glucose, Oh, your body gets so healthy, and this is the state where we the cancer the cancer uh, cells are getting hammered, and the people who don't have cancer get very healthy, and and there's a number of people on the web who have, are proving this, and going into these states of what we call therapeutic ketosis. Therapeutic ketosis is is a very healthy state. Now, I don't recommend people live in the state. I, it's a beautiful state to visit. You visit the state for a day or two or maybe a week at the most, and then you leave the state. But at least while you're in that therapeutic state of ketosis, your body gets super healthy, and you reduce significantly the risk of cancer and a variety of other chronic diseases. Well, so um, obviously we need to, um, uh, you know, give up anything that is going to generate insulin, high insulin levels in our body. I mean, it's the carbs, it's the sugary foods, it's the sodas, it's the alcohol. All of this is creating an environment that is altering this respiration within our cells. And, you know, I remember going to a conference, Dr. Safri, and I remember the statistic. They said that um, cancer cells have 10 to 16 times more insulin receptors than healthy cells. Yeah, because they're driven by glucose. So, I yeah. mean, the glucose drives the tumor. So you keep the blood sugar down, the tumors can't grow. And uh, with respect to alcohol, you know, we've had cancer patients feed us back a lot of information uh, who are on metabolic therapy for cancer. And um, certain alcohols, like certain red wines, um, uh, these dark red wines, these Burgundies and Bordeaux, um, um, Merlots and, and these kinds of um, um, wines, they don't spike blood sugar. So, you know, to be in, you don't need to be abstinent in everything, uh, okay? I mean, there are certain things that you can, and I also know dry, very expensive uh, champagne, which is a very dry, uh, uh, some dry white wines are also. And people always ask me, oh, can I, can I do that or do this? And I always say, take, look at your GKI, your glucose ketone index, and that'll tell you whether you should do that or not. Because every person is different. Each person's a different metabolic machine. And what, what might spike blood sugar in one person doesn't in another person. So each person has to take the, the meter. Look at their blood. Okay, if it spikes your blood sugar, then don't take that. Get, don't, don't go back to that. But if this other, other uh, uh, food or drink um, doesn't spike, then, then that's okay. Then you know you're in, in the, you, you can take that without um, putting yourself out of the zone. So um, this uh, glucose ketone meter, is, is, it, is it actually one, one meter that you use, or is it, a, is it two different well, tests? Yeah. That... No, we, we tested a couple. There's not many on the market. Most of the meters on the market measure blood sugar. I mean, any pharmacy yeah. you go to, you can get a, a blood sugar meter. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, to measure your ther the, the therapeutic index uh, of therapeutic ketosis, you need the meter 
that will measure both both blood sugar and blood ketone. And we built this little calculator. Um, it's called the glucose ketone index calculator. And uh, people can push their, their numbers. And because sometimes the blood is given in milligrams per deciliter. The blood glucose is in milligrams per deciliter, whereas the ketones, uh, the ketone body is given in millimolar. So this confuses a lot of people. So because you have to divide, you have to divide the glucose by 18 to get a millimolar value, and then you take that value and divide it by the ketones, and you get this ratio. So we built this little calculator, which is very simple. People just put in the the number off the meter for for glucose and the number off the uh-huh. meter for ketone. Hit the button, and you get your number. So um, so this allows people to know. Like, for example, if most people now eat a big lunch or whatever, and they were to take their blood sugar, uh, blood ketone and sugar, uh, they would have extremely low ketones and very high glucose, and they would have a ratio like 50 or 30 or something like this. But if you're in therapeutic ketosis, it's going to be one or below, you know, 0.9, 0.8. So there's a tremendous difference in in, uh, in in values depending on you know what you've just eaten or how long you've fasted and things like this, or you can eat certain foods that actually keep you close to the metabolic zone, like avocados and and um, bulletproof coffee, which is really quite remarkable. You know, it's it's coffee with a with a butter and coconut oil in it. You know, it keeps you really in the in the metabolic zone, and it's not bad. It comes out like a latte. You know, there's more and more uh, foods and procedures that are coming on the market that can keep people in therapeutic ketosis. The food industry is moving into this area. So, um, and once you're in therapeutic ketosis, you know, your problem, your risk for getting chronic disease is significantly reduced. So, um, I had a question I was going to ask you. Uh, I've just gone out of, oh, intermittent fasting. So that would be a useful strategy to implement. Yes, yes. But, you know, how um, when you say intermittent, you know, uh, it's like you know, if you don't eat I, after dinner and then go to and then start again at about maybe have something, have brunch at eleven. Well, the, well that's it, then you're going intermittent based on hours. So if I, if you do yeah. an eighteen-hour fast, you see, um, intermittent like in in the in the animals, of course, you know, the mouse has a basal metabolic rate seven times that of a of a human, which means they're 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 very metabolically active. So a twenty-four hour fast in a mouse. Is like a, a seven-day water-only fast in a human. It's just, it's like, oh my God! <laughs> How many people are going to run out and not eat for a week? Right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have to be really intense. The, the funny thing is, Cheryl, there's so many, there's so many, a lot of people out there do this kind of stuff too. You know, I don't, I don't, don't fast for seven days, but, but I know that there are people who, who've done. I've done three days, okay. And that's hard. Are you kidding me? I mean, try not eating for three days. I mean, it's 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 not easy. All right, I'm not saying see, oh, go out and do that. But you know, people do it now. Intermittent fasting. Okay, try try 24 hours. Uh, that's uh-huh. only, you know, people say, oh my God, I'm going to die. You know, you're not going to die. It's uh, yeah. some you know people say, oh, I get a headache, get this or that. You know, your body gets into it, and then all of a sudden you become keto adapted, and you don't. Sometimes people don't eat every, every but every couple of days. And uh, now your body is really in keto adaptation when, you, uh, adaptation when you're doing that. But then when you take the foods, these foods will uh, are oftentimes very fat, uh, fatty, um, you know, like avocados and, as I was saying, butter and things. That make, converts all that into ketones, and that makes you very healthy. There's another misconception about fat, and then you can't get fat eating fat. So many people uh, don't understand that. Uh, you get fat eating carbohydrates. Uh, you don't get fat eating fat. 
fat is either burned or it's excreted. It's very, very little of it gets stored. And that's why these ketogenic diets are weight loss diets. People lose weight on these diets. Because you, they say, well, I'm eating all this fat. How come I'm losing weight? Because we either, we either burn it at the time we're eating it or we excrete it. We, can, we can't store it. But if you take fat and sugar together, which is like the icing on the cake, right? What is that? It's butter and sugar. Oh, mm-hmm. you get really fat eating that stuff. So you really have to know what you're doing. It's, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. So um, cu- a couple of other questions are um, uh, what's your role, what's your thoughts about protein? Uh, because protein can be a problem, uh, I believe, if we're excessive in our protein intake. Is that yeah. true? Yeah well, yeah, well, I mean, if you're working out, trying to build muscle, uh, you're, you're going to be needing protein, right? So this is... Yes. Uh, in that respect, that's what you know builds muscles. You got to take you got to take the protein in there. But if you have cancer, you have to be very careful because because the protein is metabolized to sugar through the gluconeogenic process. So um, T. Colin Campbell, uh, who wrote the China study, uh, had done some very interesting work uh, with rats, showing that if you went above 10% protein. Uh, you could actually contribute to the growth of the tumor. And I believe that because we've seen the similar kinds of things. Ketogenic diets have very, very low, moderate protein levels. And we try to keep protein level low. And that's the difference between ketogenic diet and Atkins diet. Atkins diet is eat all the fat and protein you want. Okay? That's not good for cancer. So um, you really have to have lower protein if you do ketogenic diets. So, but you're right. Uh, but if you're lifting weights and you don't have cancer, then, then you know, protein is needed for that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's the, what is the person's goal here? I mean, you know, right. you have to put them in, in the state of, of, of what they're trying to achieve and in what, what is their physiological condition at the time that they're, used, they're doing this. Okay. So fat. So uh, I know you talk about coconut oil as being a really healing, beneficial type of oil. You talked about butter. Are other fats like olive oil also considered beneficial? Well, uh, it depends. Like olive oil, this is the, on a major fuel of or food of the of the Mediterranean diets. And if you want to prevent cancer, um, uh, Mediterranean diets are really good. They use a lot of olive oil and things like this. Um, as far as therapy, if you have cancer, do you take a lot of olive oil? Um, we're actually exploring that right now. Um, uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids. Uh, we're mm-hmm. doing a little of ex- exploration on that, but it's more for killing cancer cells than it is for helping helping the normal cells. And it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know if I have time to explain the strategy behind that. But but we're working uh, with we're using powering one type of food off of another. You see, our strategy, a lot of our strategy is using food as medicine. Okay, this is a. Uh, <laughs> maybe a radical concept it's not see people mistaken if you do nutrition and all this kind of stuff oh i'm going to eat this to become healthy you know uh, we use food as medicine actually to kill tumor cells right if you play one group of foods off another you can actually target and kill tumor cells without using toxic chemicals so um uh, so that strategy is really exciting uh so people people need to know if they want to if they want to target and kill cancer cells what are the combinations of foods that they would need to do that in conjunction with like hyperbaric oxygen and certain other drugs taken in low doses that work all together in this strategy? So this is one of the focuses that, that one of the, the key points that we're working on now. Where would people go to get this, um, the, the, the approach that you're talking about with hyperbaric oxygen, the ketogenic diet, and the yeah, yeah. where do they go? I mean, if people are yeah. listening to this and going, okay, I've got cancer, yeah, this sounds it, good. 
Yeah, yeah well, the tragedy is the, the tragedy is most places in this country will not do that. You go to any of the major hospitals and they'll roll their eyes. They'll say, well, uh, there, there's no way we could do this. It's not uh, institutional review boards have to examine this. And, oh, you're going to take away radiation. We can't do that. You know, we can't do this. We can't do that. The whole thing is we can't, we can't, we can't. The question is people want to live. All right. Do you want to live? Okay, then, then who's going to do this for you? So, uh, you know, the guys in Turkey were able to overcome this. The people in Egypt, why, why we, we have to go to Turkey or we have to go to Egypt to get a metabolic therapy to manage our cancer and we can't do it in, in our own hospitals? I mean, this is nuts. What's going on here? So, uh, and if, uh, go and try it. Go, what I just told you, if, you're, if a cancer patient said, I want to do metabolic therapy, you go down to, to the top uh, uh, oncology programs and you see what the kind of response you're going to get from something like this. And the problem is these, these folks are not tied into knowing about metabolic therapy. They've been trained to use these toxic approaches. The, the poor physicians going through the training programs are not told about this. They're told about how to treat somebody with radiation so you don't over-radiate them or treat them with chemicals so you don't kill them from too much chemical. They're not trained to use food as medicine. They don't understand the metabolic theory of cancer. They're locked into the gene theory. So what do you expect? You expect this per 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 perpetuation of this uh, failed system and the, and the bodies keep piling up. You know, it's not, it's just, it's a, tra it's a tragedy. It will become to be recognized as a tragedy in the future. So it's a, you know, so for people listening to this, it's a big frustration. They have to do research. Oh, Maybe terrible. there are clinics in Mexico that are doing it. You can even get your own portable hyperbaric chamber. I've seen them at different conferences. I don't know how effective they are compared to a, one of those big units. Yeah, you know. well, you know, the problem, Cheryl, is that people need uh, the guidance of a, of a yeah. trained medical professional. Yeah. I'm not going advocating that people go out and do all this stuff on their own. You know, um, if I so were to... This is your ultimate frustration, isn't it, Dr. Seyfried? I mean, oh, you're, you're, you found something that has shown to be incredibly effective. It's proven in, in clinics that are using it in Turkey and Egypt, and yet here it's falling on deaf ears. Well, you know, it's... it's well, I, I think people are going to want to live. Once the, once the word gets out, once you start seeing more and more people walking around who should have been dead, you know, people are going to say, hey, how did you do that? And also the dogs. Oh, uh, the, the canines. Uh, we've been treating dogs. My colleagues have been treating dogs with incredible success. So, um, and dogs are, are, are brutalized by, they're one of the few animals that are brutalized from the time they're born till the time they die with, with inappropriate foods. Dogs did not evolve to eat, uh, you know, bagged food, uh, grained food mm -hmm. or any of this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And yet we subject mm -hmm. these poor animals. And, and then they, what do they live, you know, 12, 14, 16 years? You know, Rodney Habib from Canada is showing these dogs can live 25 and 30 years if you put them on the right on the oh, right diets wow. and things. Yeah, wow. so it's the same thing. We're 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 killing all the dogs. We're killing ourselves. Um, they 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 uh, the whole the whole process is upside down. And then we have this healthcare crisis in the country, right? Oh, you know, we're talking about Obamacare, Trump care, and all these kinds of cares. And it's, oh, it's so costing so much money. Costing. You want to reduce the cost. Of, you go on these metabolic therapies, the cost of, of chronic diseases would collapse. You wouldn't have half of this stuff that we we're dealing with today. Yeah. So um, uh, I, I don't know what that's going to do to the business model, but, you know, whatever it is, as I keep saying, people want to live if they knew, if yeah. they knew what they needed to do. Now, that's the choice. You don't want to be forcing people to do this, but it's an option. If you want to do this kind of a therapy, there should be somebody available to allow you to do this. 
we're not saying you should take if someone wants to be irradiated and, and treated with a toxic drug to, tra to treat their cancer they should have every right to be treated that way but if there's another option they should know about that option and to not be told that we have only one way to treat you because there's another way to treat you uh, is it is it widespread no but the, what is the look at the other option you take somebody with a glioblastoma what are they they're going to get they're going to get uh, irradiated and they're going to get poisoned and that and those poor people are dying right you take metabolic therapy and they're going to live a lot longer and they're going to be a high quality of life so in in the in the little bit of time we have left we have we have about 10 minutes uh can we talk about how metabolic this metabolic approach can be translated to other conditions and illnesses that are right now plaguing our society as well, like Alzheimer's yeah. and epilepsy? Well, you know, and, and not only that, type 2. Type 2 diabetes type two. can be cured. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. In fact, we have papers like this. If type 2 diabetes can be cured with food, if, with the metabolic therapy, no question. That was shown by, um, by uh, who is it, Eric Westman. Uh, others have shown these uh, type 2 diabetes can be managed and effectively cured in a number of people. Okay, that's a big chronic disease. That That is, is a segue into cardiovascular disease, and it's a segue mm -hmm. into cancer and, and uh, a variety of And Alzheimer's. Of Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, you know, that has to be targeted earlier because, you know, by the time someone shows symptoms of Alzheimer's, you know, they're already lost a lot of neurons. You're not going mm -hmm. to re re recover someone's brain cells that have, been, that have already died, all right? So Alzheimer's is just the opposite of cancer. It's actually they're being starved of sugar. It's, it, the, the cells can't get enough glucose into the, into the neurons, and the neurons are being starved to death by, by a lack of glucose. So we use ketone, ketogenic diets as well. And that's a very effective way to keep neurons healthy and alive. But it has to be started earlier. So getting back to one of your statements earlier, Cheryl, about intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is a very good way to get ketones into the brain and keep neurons healthy. So uh, if people in their 30s and 40s were to uh, engage in intermittent fasting and try to get into what we call therapeutic ketosis, that would significantly reduce the risk of uh, of many many of the uh, Alzheimer's conditions. Not all, because there are some uh, genes that really uh, put you at at risk for for Alzheimer's disease. But that's only about five percent of the population. Most of the people with Alzheimer's disease are getting Alzheimer's disease from the same problems, uh, which is uh, poor poorly nutritious fuels. Uh, high carbohydrate diets and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, putting, doing therapeutic ketosis would be putting, reducing the risk of Alzheimer's disease in the majority of people. Because as you were saying that the Alzheimer's is like, as they say, type 3 diabetes. It's an insulin-resistant yeah. problem. Yeah. So, I mean, we have too much sugar. Yeah, uh, well, but, uh, but the, the cells can't get the sugar into their body, into the right, cell. Right, that's the insulin resistance, yeah. right? That's yeah, well, it's, they, they, they have the, actually the, tr the transporters for glucose. The glucose transporters are reduced, so they can't bring it. They, they don't get enough into the uh, neurons. Neurons can't turn to fermentation, they, so they, they're shriveling up and dying, and that's what's happening. We get all these plaques and tangles, and this is still a big controversy. Like, are the plaques and tangles actually trying are being produced to protect the neurons from death mm. or are they contributing to the death of the neurons so so the the idea is is keep the neurons healthy and you won't you won't likely have these problems so how do you do that you got to keep burning these ketones 
don't forget, uh, our primitive ancestors were almost always in a state of therapeutic ketosis. They didn't have mm -hmm. much food. They didn't have much high-carbohydrate food. And they were probably, and we, we know this, in a, in, a, in a constant state of some semi-therapeutic ketosis. Now, of course, we didn't have, they were dying from, from infections and all kinds of other things that we have managed today. But again, we're back to this whole concept of, of inflammation, systemic inflammation, what's causing that? It leads to diabetes, it leads to chronic heart disease, it leads to cancer, it leads to all these things. And if you're in state of therapeutic ketosis, inflammation is very low. So this is a very simple strategy. It's easy to say it, but then when you try to do it practicality, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. But at least people can know what they should do or what they can do. You know, I, I just attended the Natural Products Expo, which is huge for the industry, the natural products industry, and uh, 85,000 people attended. And uh, I walked up and down the aisles in the food area, and I have to tell you, Dr. Seyfried, it was you know, um, gluten-free this and corn yeah. chips that. And it's like the, the, the carbohydrates, supposedly the healthy carbohydrates, but no carbohydrates in those kind of snacking foods are healthy. And it's promoting snacking, which is yeah. a really bad idea as well. Well, I don't know. I mean, snacking, I, I, don't, I haven't gotten into that. Um, people always ask me about this. And I always say measure your GKI. If you measure mm. your GKI, you'll know whatever you're eating is going to be healthy or not. I mean, it's well, just that simple. So, um, and it's such a simple thing, you know, you just get the little meter. The only problem is you have to stick your finger. You know, people don't like that. No, I don't want to stick my finger. <laughs> get a drop of blood. You know, I don't want to do that. So, <laughs> so, so uh, but, uh, but that's what you do, and, and it'll give you very accurate, accurate results. And I think that's a really, um, such a useful tool. We need to have tools that help us monitor what's going on within our bodies because that's the feedback that lets us know if we're on track to being healthy or on track to being sick. So I just want to reiterate what you were saying. So when you talk about getting the meter, are you saying get a glucometer so you can check your yeah. blood sugar and then go in and look at the 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 the, gra the the information, the graph, whatever it is that you have put together. Can you give us yeah. real specific instructions what people should be doing to monitor okay. themselves? Okay, so so um, the meter, there's only I think there's only two companies now that make this kind of a meter. One of them is Abbott Laboratories, and the other is mm -hmm. Novacure, I think. Um, mm -hmm. our, all of our work has been done with the with the Abbott one. Uh, and it's on okay. sale, you, or you can buy it from Amazon. I don't, I'm not here to push Abbott or any of that stuff. I'm no, just saying it's, so the we know. That, it's the only meter that I know that we've tested with our experiments in the lab, doing biochemical experiments with the with the sticks on the meter to be um, uh, uh, overlapping, that you can get a pretty good result. So I think it's $39 on Amazon. You can get the, uh, it's called a glucose ketone index monitor. It's called um, Precision Extra, I believe. Um, it's, I, I think it was like $39 on Amazon. Oh, okay. I'm just looking up as we talk. Yeah. There's a thing um, called uh, Precision Extra yes. Blood Glucose Ketone Meter. Yes. That's it. That's it, yeah. For like so, 35 36 bucks. Yeah, right, right. So the meter is not the uh, – the glucose strips are pretty cheap. I think they're like $0.50 cents each or something. But the ketone strips in the United States, like everything here, is like $6 each. But if you go to Canada, you can buy these. You can get these strips for like two dollars each. So um, uh, you know, I there's a there's a place in Canada that will sh that will ship you the strips. 
So, okay. and then intermittent in between, because always the, the, the ketone strips are a little bit more. Now, don't forget, you take a drop of blood, you put the strip just like into the meter, you put the drop of blood on the end, and it gives you a glucose reading. You pull that strip out, and you put the ketone strip in there. You take this, you just try to squeeze another little drop of blood from the finger and put it on, and put it on there, and then you get the ketone value. So, and the glucose ketone index, if people have it, we published the paper, open access, so everybody can get that for free. The, 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 uh, you put your numbers into the index, uh, the calculator, and it, boom, it gives you a, sing a singular number of the ratio of the two fuels. And if you're close to 1.0, some pe most people are going to be, you know, struggling to get near 2 or 3. But I have students that, and myself, we've gotten down to 1 or below uh, 1. I mean, after three days of no no food, you can get down there, or have some avocado. You get you'll get down there, but but uh, then you're in state of the therapeutic ketosis, and you can feel good about that. And in our okay. paper, we showed like over the course of a month, a person can plot how many days out of the month were they in this, in the in the good state of therapeutic ketosis. And some people strive to get the, oh, I was, in, I was there for a whole month, somebody will say to me. I was there a whole month in therapeutic ketosis. I said, how do you feel? They say, I feel great, you know, I feel great. So so it's a, it's a, and you st I don't say that everybody stays in that zone, but certainly at least you have hard biomarker evidence to say that you're in the zone, not guessing, you know, or I think I'm in ketosis. Or somebody says, oh, I, I pee on a strip and it tells me I have ketones. You don't know if it, on, on the urine, if, if you have high blood sugar and you're taking in a lot of fat, you'll, so, you'll show ketone on the strip, but your body is trying to flush those ketones out as fast as you make them. You need so to have the blood accurate. meter. Yeah, yeah, the accurate comes okay. from the blood, not the urine. Okay. And that, and that index is found where? Because I know people are going to want to Well, do I this. published, we published a paper. It's open access to nutrition and metabolism. Uh, anybody who has access to the internet can go on the web. Uh, just put in um, uh, uh, our paper, which was, uh, you know, it was uh, uh, Joshua Meidenbauer. Uh, just put glucose ketone index and nutrition okay. and metabolism, and the paper will come up. Okay. It's for, it was for brain cancer. The paper was for, for people who, who have brain tumors that would like to manage their cancer. But we, we now know that this, this index, if you keep it low, it's for just the general, general health of, of people. There's also, a, a, I think, a company on the, on the East Coast. It's... Um, uh, on, on the West Coast, that it's starting, it's called Heads Up Health. They're making an app uh, for your cell phone uh, uh, that can um, help you monitor the glucose. So you need, always need the meter, but there's there's an app out where you just put the the numbers into the app and it keeps you tells you how many days out of the month and all these other what foods you're eating, what they do to the index, and it's it's becoming a real um, kind of a, a groupie thing, you know. Groupies are, are into this now to, to see see how healthy they can become. You know, uh, yeah, it's just that people can't overdo any of this stuff. You know, how human we are as, as a species. There's always some guy out there that'll take it to some crazy extreme. You know, but um, uh, basically, it's a good way for people to just generally know their state of health. Well, I think it's a great way to monitor what's going on. In our bodies. So if we want to lose weight, if we want to stay healthy, if yeah. we're dealing with potential problems, this, these are the tools that empower us. This is what it's yeah. all about. Absolutely. You know, that's why I get excited and why I so appreciate everything you've been doing, Dr. Savory. And you really are, you know, transforming people's lives, transforming the paradigms of health and healing and how we look at disease. And, you know, I'm just so appreciative of everything you've done and how you're just, you know, changing the world. Changing the world. So. Well, we do what, we do what we can do. And we'll see what happens. You know, it's up to every individual to make a decision for themselves. It's not like yes. 
but so at least you know, they but have a path. yes, at least they have the path. At least they're given they're given truthful information, so they can make these choices. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So, uh, well, we've come to the end of the show. It's been so enlightening, and uh, I get so excited listening to you. And I know you get excited about being able to share it, and and rightly so. So, uh, thank you so so much for all the great work you're doing, and for well, being on the show yeah. today, and enlightening all of us, inspiring us to find solutions. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. And to all my listeners, thank you again for joining us. And remember, always honor the wisdom of your feminine self. Bye for now.